Good morning, everyone. We're going to be continuing our our series of messages um, from First Timothy and uh, chapter three, but we're going to approach it a little bit different this morning, being that the next section dealing with deacons is a um, has a lot of the same information as elders. So we're going to approach this just a little different. You know, I believe that from the very beginning. <clears throat> God has been trying to teach authentic leadership. You know, whether it be Adam and Eve in the garden, or whether it be Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, or even David in the times of the king, but it's been authentic leadership that has advanced the kingdom of God. And the lack of authentic leadership that has stalled kingdom growth. And I believe that with all my heart. Today, I believe there's a great opportunity for us to learn authentic leadership as we glean from the words that Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, here about the kind of authentic leaders um, he would have serve as deacons. Now, if you, if you look up the Greek there, the, the Greek word for deacon is diakonos, in which means translated is servant. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, but it seems like my voice is just keeping going down, down, down. I'm losing my voice. I don't know why. Now, I just took a drink of water, so I don't know what's going on. Um, if I get too low, Jerry, just keep moving me up, okay? <clears throat> I don't know what's going on here. Well, let me, let me preference our journey this morning with the truth of this, that all of us, every one of us, are being asked to become servants and play the role of diakonos, um, leaders, servants, Deacons, you know, unlike other roles um, or instructions specifically for men and for women, today's text um, and the mission that comes with growing our authentic leadership here is for all of us. It's for every one of us if we are going to be a church that advances the kingdom of God. Folks, those that advance the kingdom of God, there has to be leaders there. And we're called to step up to be those leaders. So today, what I want to do is, while we explore the, the ideals found in Timothy, I want us to do it through the lens of some biblical narratives here that when they're taught side by side, illustrate the ingredients of authentic leadership. Um, we're doing this because this is a little different approach than what we did with the elders because we cover, you know, it covers a lot of the same materials. Well, today's goal for this message is I want us to become biblical sharks. I want us like sharks. They just surround, you know, um, their prey here. And that's what I want us to do. We're going to circle this authentic leadership that Paul's trying to teach us this morning through the stories found in Genesis, the 38th chapter, and Genesis 39. Two men we're going to look at here, and that's Judah and Joseph. So as we began, I think sometimes to understand where we want to go, it's helpful to understand what we need to avoid. And I want to start off with that. Judah, the son of Jacob. Now, you Old Testament gurus, follow me on this. Get your, get your history minds going here. Judah, the son of Jacob, the brother of Joseph, 
you know, who was involved in selling his brother into slavery. Maybe that ought to bring some clarity to it. Um, he gives us a picture of the kind of leadership that we need to run from in Christ's church. We do not need to be like Judah, one of those sons, Judah. We don't, we don't need to be that way. So as this picture begins in chapter 38, and if you were to read the, the entire narrative here, you would discover that this story begins with Ur, the son of Judah. That's where the story begins. Before I go any further, let me remind you of something that's going to come up here. Um, the kinsman redeemer system. You, you remember that? Kinsman redeemer system. In other words, the kinsman redeemer um, is a male relative who, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, they had the privilege or they had the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble or in danger, even so far as taking care of the husband um, duties, you know, in the family. So this kinsman redeemer system, you know, is something that maybe we need to understand so it'll help us in, in this passage of Scripture. Let's go on down and start with verse 11 here. <clears throat> then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live with or in his father's, in her father's home. Some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was uh, over, Judah and his friend Hira, the Adolamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Tamar to shear his sheep. Uh, Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made um, for her to come and to marry him. So she changed out her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance of the village of Enam, um, which was on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. Now, believe it or not, this story gets pretty messy here. So as we continue, you know, I want to be a little sensitive to the younger audience here. So parents, fair warning here. This is probably a PG-13 story, and you might have some great conversations in the car going home or at lunchtime um, to explain some of this. To continue on, Tamar and Judah, they began to negotiate a sexual transaction here. Tamar has one goal in the transaction. She's got one goal in mind here, and that is to protect herself through getting pregnant while maintaining the protection of Judah. That was her goal. So she manipulates the situation by claiming she wanted a goat. But really, what she does is she gets Judah's driver's license and his passport as collateral for the goat to save herself later in the story. Um, so in verse 18, we move it along, you know, the, about the middle of the verse, she answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord. 
and the walking stick you're carrying. So we see that the transaction is complete now. And Tamar, she takes off without the goat, but taking off with Judah's identification. The story picks up here in verse 24. Let's go there. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute, and now because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized him immediately and said, She is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shelah. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. Now, Judah's story is really a tragedy here. You know, it's a picture of complete family dysfunction here. I mean, this is really a messy story. And family dys dysfunction basically leads to leadership failure in the entire community here. For an example, how many of you would want people like Judah leading your church? You know, how many of you would want Judah preaching in the church? You know, how many of you would want uh, Judah leading your small group Bible study or maybe leading children's worship? You know, would you even let Judah um, referee your, your child's ball games here? You know, as a competitor, I would think that if you knew the backstory of Judah, you wouldn't trust him at all here. So we need to learn from this story. Now look what Paul writes to Timothy. We're going to make the pivot here. You'll see, like, what does that got to do with Timothy? Well, let's look at that. This is going to be a great example for us. Now as we head into 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, which is really our text for today, one of the things you'll notice in looking at the characteristics of deacons is that many of them are similar or the same characteristics as the characteristics of elders that we talked about last week. Well, today, I want to give you four ingredients that I believe captures all the characteristics on Paul's deacon list here. Um, and we're going to begin with verses 8 and 9. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. So the very first criteria that I really see Paul communicating here is that authentic leadership is rooted in integrity. It's rooted in integrity. And let me tell you something. If you're not the real deal, your actions will eventually tattle on you. They will tell on you. You know, Judah, he had, he had a behavioral pattern of living under the veil of excuses and lies. And more than likely, he was walking around as the son of Jacob, as an heir of his father's inheritance, as the boss in his community, as the big guy. He thought he was all that and sliced bread too. And he was doing all that while his father was weeping the death of his beloved son, Joseph, you know, who Judah did not protect, who he was supposed to protect. But he orchestrated a lie instead to cover his own skin and his brother's sin so that they could, you know, they could enable 
of future wickedness in the family. Judah, he did not protect Joseph like he should have. His father was weeping, crying over the loss of, of Jacob, who his son didn't, he didn't protect. Well, you know, you might be able to walk around in life, um, you know, around in lies for a little bit. People can do that quite often for, for a little while, but eventually that veil constructed with lies is torn and you'll be found out. Listen, if you're sitting in church today trying to act like you have everything all figured out, but you've got skeletons in your closets, you know, quit trying to continue to live in darkness. Let me encourage you. Don't do that. It's devastating. It will just drive you insane. Take the veil off and get help. Listen, behavioral sin patterns don't just shat don't get shattered overnight. They just don't go away. You know, you're in a spiritual war here and it's tough. It's tough, you know, and you need to help. You need help of Jesus Christ. You need the help of his Holy Spirit and his body, the church. You need folks to help you with that. Folks, this is a spiritual battle that's hard to handle. So let me encourage you to begin um, pursuing integrity today through confession, through prayer, you know, so that you can begin establishing the second ingredient of authentic worship that we see Paul talking through here. In verses 10 and 11, they must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So the second thing we see here is authentic leadership is rooted in endurance, meaning that it's, you know, um, enduring a difficult process without giving way. It means being faithful, endurance here. Well, think about this story. Judah, he, he was the firstborn, and with the firstborn, they come, they come some special privileges here. You know, he's the great-grandson of Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, um, and I am speculating uh, here, but I think maybe he walked around with some undeserved power and privilege because he thought he was somebody. Here. Well, sometimes in life, we're born into money or influence or whatever, and from an intercultural and, and historical standpoint, if you are born in America today, you have rights and privileges that are uncommon throughout culture and through history because America is such a great place. And I think because of that, maybe you have a greater responsibility when welding those privileges. You know, but privilege does not mean you get to be a leader in God's family or Christ's church. You know, the trait that Paul is telling Timothy to look for is endurance, is faithfulness. Endurance, you see, always is a prerequisite to spiritual leadership. I don't care how you slice it, it's always a prerequisite. I remind myself of this all the time. You know, there are things in this life that I've simply not experienced. And, you know, I have my fair share of ministry opportunities and I have a, you know, uh, I have stewarded a lot of blessings from God that has bestowed upon me and some I've done very wisely and some that I've fallen on. But I lack a lot of experience and I am so thankful you know, for the plurality of wiser, 
men and leaders that I can surround myself with. I am thankful for the leaders that we have in this church that I surround myself with and some of the other men in the church, older and wiser. Let me tell you something. Because of your um, guidance and because of the things that you know, you enable me to lead far beyond my years. I'm grateful to rub shoulders with you. I say that to say this, you know, if you don't have the opportunity or if you've not had the opportunity to develop, you know, an endurance at this point in your life, let me encourage you at the very least to surround yourself with those who do have this endurance leadership quality. And by rubbing shoulders with them and interacting with them, you might just find um, a path to your own authentic leadership. Folks, we work together and God designed it that way. Listen, life is going to hit us hard, you know, with hard things like financial challenges and job losses and family problems and illness and pandemics. And we need to remember that in everything life throws at us is an opportunity to grow in endurance. And also in the last quality that I see Paul trying to communicate in this passage. Look at verse 12 and 13. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So the third thing here, authentic leadership is rooted in God's family plan. It's rooted in God's family plan. You know, one of the reasons that I think Cabin Swamp is such a great church is because she understands that one of the essentials of building, you know, essential building blocks of a biblical community is the family. This is one thing that we're strong on here, and I'm grateful for that. We understand the family and family relationships and what it means in the whole. You know, we understand that the foundation is a one-man, one-woman marriage that we see modeled for us by Adam and Eve in the garden, like in Genesis 2, in verses 24 and 25. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, we see that in God's plan for sexuality, we see that it's always been um, for all sexual activity to be in the one man, one woman marriage relationship, regardless of what this world says. Folks, that does not change the rules. God's word is the rules, you see. Of course, God, there was a period of time in history it was permitted, he permitted a kinsman redeemer relationship that we talked about a while ago. But in the context of Judah's story that we were looking at here, the original plan would have been for Judah's son, Ur, to be the man of authentic leadership so that the backup plan would never have um, had to be put into play here. Now, I want to take a moment and recognize some sad realities here. You know, studies show that over 50% of kids walking into youth ministries right now come from divorce or blended families. That is pretty sad. You know, and if you're sitting in worship service or you even, you know, if this marriage thing haven't happened to you yet, 
I want you to just hang tight because there's some amazing news that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus for you. But for those in this room who still have the opportunity to preserve and to pursue this divine blueprint for the family, um, we need to lock you in and you need to lock into this because if you do this right, you have a very unique opportunity to be a blessing to the Lord's church. You see, as we continue to look at God's plan for the marriage relationship in Scripture, fathers and mothers, they're commanded to pass on a legacy of faith to their family. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your path all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And did you get that? Did you pick up on that? Make the way of God known to your children. See, because if you don't, our churches and our family's ability to lead people into a relationship with Jesus will be compromised. Folks, we've got a lot of work to do here. And like Judah, we'll be found out and we'll feel trapped in feelings of embarrassment and shame. And none of us want that. We don't want to be shamed like Judah was. So church, there's a better path. There's a better way. Listen, Judah's brother Joseph who was in, far, was in a far worse place and had far less privilege, provides a far better model for authentic leadership, uh, you know, that Paul communicates to Timothy here. Let's go on to Genesis 39, starting with verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmael traders, Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by, by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the homes of his Egyptian, in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Now this is just the beginning of this story. You know, I want you to know that I absolutely believe that Joseph was a man who participated in um, proverbial living, or he was very confident, self-confident in what he was doing. You see, he had wisdom far beyond his years because he did things the way God designed things to be done. And this is something that we can learn from here. You know, when you follow God's principles, you know, you will, in life, you will normatively or most likely receive material worldly blessings. Not in every case, but when you do things the way God wants you to do it, you're normally blessed, you see. Now, Proverbs, it provides us an invitation to everyone 
um, when it says this in Proverbs, the first chapter, wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. Folks, authentic leadership is worth pursuing. This is something that's worth pursuing. And I say that, um, that most of the time, it will make you better in every area of your life. Every time you do the things that God asks you to do, you're blessed by it. But sometimes, I will admit, that authentic leadership that honors Christ Jesus, it will take you into some tough places. But let me tell you something. Even if it takes you into some tough places, God provides a way for you to endure those tough places. You see, in Genesis 39, starting about the end of verse 6 here, it says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demands, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has any more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however... Um, no one else was around, and he went in to do his work. She came in and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand, and she ran from the house. Um, left the cloak as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, um, she called out to her servants, Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away. But he left his cloak behind with me. Now Potiphar's wife, much like Tamar, is making a claim here. Rather than holding a sigmet and a staff and having authenticated proof, she makes a false claim you know, holding up Joseph's cloak here. And despite Joseph's integrity, and despite his endurance, and despite his pursuit of purity and, and God's family plan here, Joseph would find himself living in injustice in a jail cell in a foreign country for years. But you know what? The authentic leadership is still worth pursuing. Because authentic leadership is a tool that God has called us to put into action to advance his kingdom. And God's plans are always right, without a doubt. So, sometimes we're blessed, sometimes we're burdened. But in all things, the kingdom of God advances by this kind of leadership because this is the way God asks us to do it. Church, we've got to get going on this authentic leadership. Every one of us. Folks, people are dying every day. People are dying. They're going to hell every day. And we need leaders to step up and bring solutions and start multiplying themselves now. If we want to be effective in this community, we need people to step up. 
We need them to remember what our commission is, what God has challenged us to do. Matter of fact, what he's demanded us to do. And with a sense of urgency, we must reconnect to the mission of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we have it so easy in America. We have it so easy in our country that we just sit back and we relax. But folks, we've got a mission to do. The job hasn't stopped. We need to keep on keeping on. Number four here. Authentic leadership is rooted in Christ's mission. Now, I'm really not sure where you find yourself today. Maybe you feel like Joseph. You know, you identify in a spot somewhere along in his journey. Or maybe, you know, you're working for a Pharaoh. Or maybe you're working for a Potiphar. And, and God's just entrusted you with extraordinary responsibility. And maybe just like Joseph, he will entrust you with, with an opportunity to preserve his word and his truth and his people. And then there again, maybe you feel more like Judah. You know, you got hit with Judah's story and, and you can point to areas in your life that you're living in darkness, you know, and you're just dreading the day that um, you'll be found out. You know, that's a terrible feeling to have. And I think if I were honest, you know, there are some days that I feel just like Judah. I feel more like Judah than I do Joseph, you know, confronted with, with, with Paul's words on what an authentic uh, servant leader is to look like, I don't always feel like I meet that standard. And maybe you don't either. And maybe you're here today, you know, and I want to tell you this. I want to share this with you, that there is hope. There is extreme hope found in the grand narrative of the scripture. You know, just because we make one mistake don't mean we're done forever. If it were, we would all be in trouble, you see. Now, let me tell you something. The very unique thing about Joseph and Judah's story, really unique here, is that there's an intersection in their story. You see, when Judah's story appears over, when it appears like there's nowhere else for him to go, you know, and when his family tree seems like chaos, you know, the thing we discover um, is that Judah's family tree, it moves from dark and dysfunctional to divine. In fact, there's biblical evidence that Judah repented and the, you know, and the child named Perez was born in dysfunction, would go on to continue the lineage of Judah until another child was born, and that child's name was Jesus. Pretty neat, huh? And this child would go on with a life of authentic leadership that would take him to a cross. And Jesus would become the kinsman redeemer that Judah wasn't. Folks, I don't care how bad you feel like you are. There is hope for you. He is the kinsman redeemer for you and for me. The kinsman redeemer that would remember his message. The kinsman redeemer... Um, that carried on a mission that would take him to the cross where Judah and Joseph and you and myself would be restored and promised a greater victory and a greater future kingdom in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, I really encourage you to embrace the lifestyle of this authentic leadership 
that Paul would have us pursue while reconnecting to God's mission to redeem and to restore the world through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the rich stories and in the scriptures that gives us an example. Father, sometimes we think that we're the only one and our situation is unique. But if we look far enough and hard enough, we'll find a duplicate of our situation in the scripture where you've already given us example. And Father, we thank you for being our kinsman redeemer that you could come and you could save us from our sins. Father, help us to strive to be the leaders that you would have us to be so that your church would continue. In Jesus' name, amen.